Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. If you are a CRNA, a busy mom, or a busy CRNA mom, or a woman looking to permanently lose weight, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Brittany Kolb from Weight Loss by Brittany. I'm a busy CRNA mom and certified life and weight loss coach. And like you, I not so long ago struggled to lose the weight and keep it off. But once I shifted my mindset and learned how I could use my brain to reach my weight loss goals, everything changed. I was able to lose 40 pounds and knew I had to share the secret with others. I'm here to help you achieve your permanent weight loss goals by uncovering what might be holding you back. Let's get started. Hey guys. Oh my gosh. It has been a hot minute since I have recorded a podcast for you all. I apologize. Thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for listening today. Um, As you know, if you've been following me on the Instagrams, um, you know that I've been reading Dr. Becky's book, Good Inside. And I keep saying, I'm like, after I'm done with this book, I'm going to do a podcast on it because it is amazing. And as I was reading it, because honestly, as I was reading it, I noticed so many parallels that can be applied to weight loss coaching and so many things that I noticed. And so I was like, uh, this I think would be really, really useful. I just kept like light bulbs just kept going off and off and off. And I was like, we're going to do a podcast on this. So first of all, I just want to give mad props to Dr. Becky. She, if you don't know her, who she is, she's a clinical psychologist. Her book again is amazing. I highly recommend you read it if you have kids. Um, I've honestly like given this book to my clients as part of their gifts because I just think it's such an amazing, amazing book, especially my, my busy mom clients. Um, she has an Instagram account. I think it's like good inside Dr. Becky. Um, you'll know exactly what I mean when you see it. Um, and she's got great tips there. She also has a membership program, which I invest in. And I also highly recommend um, as part of her membership, she gives you really even more actionable tools, scripts, um, full workshops, and special approaches to use to help you to really connect with your kid, figure out what they really need, and help them build the skill sets that they need to become like resilient and emotionally intelligent and emotionally regulated humans. Um, And she also, within her membership, has opportunities to work with coaches. Yes, Dr. Becky has coaches inside of her membership as well which I think is like another cool um, opportunity as well. Um, And so for me, the cost of her membership, which the investment is like less than a dollar a day, is worth it because it really helps me stay connected to my mission as a parent and to learn new ways to kind of stay connected to my kid and help me help him where he needs it. Like to me, it's very worth it. So, and in my busy world and yours too, I think for me personally, I've read a bajillion parenting books and I think, honestly, I think her membership is the most efficient way to get the resources that I need to help me get the results that I am working towards. So the investment in her program makes perfect sense. I also like to highlight resources that I find to be particularly useful because if they've helped me, I think they're going to help other people as well. And so I just wanted to share this with you. I know I'm like, you're like, when are we going to talk about weight loss? I'm like, we are. But I do want to give like some really special recognition to Dr. Becky because I just think she's amazing. And I also want to say too, like my approach to this has always been like, I say, I'm just telling you, like I devote intentional time to parenting and rewiring my default reactions in parenting because I know my automatic response is going to be what was taught to me and modeled to me. And I also know that I'm not really wanting a lot of that for my kid and my relationship with my kid and my family. 
So before I even read this book, I've been part of a Montessori school book club since my kid was uh, 18 months old, I want to say. And so a group of us parents, um, we take two hours every other week. We read a, we have a book that we read along the way. We talk about what's going on with our kids. We help each other with like what what's worked, what hasn't worked. And then we also like kind of connect and learn that like we're not alone in our struggles with our parenting and with like our deeply feeling kids. And I'm just telling you this because I carve out intentional time because it's worth it to me. It's important to me. And making this change is important to me. And it's really the same thing that my clients do when they sign up for coaching. They know they want to make a change, but it's going to take carving out intentional time to work on it, to rewire their brains, to make the change that they really desire. And it doesn't happen without awareness of the problem, a desire to change, and the dedication of intentional time to work on it. I'm just going to lay all that out there. So There were so many themes in this book that I found to be particularly similar to what I teach in weight loss coaching. And like the first one I noticed is like the concept of changing and breaking generational patterns. She uses this term like being a cycle breaker um, when it comes to parenting. And I also think of the same thing like being the cycle breaker when it comes to um, your health and your relationship with food. And she says she's like to change those patterns We need to rewire your brain. We need to create new circuits and new neural pathways, not only for yourself as a parent, but to help your kids wire their brain in a certain way that will be useful and supportive to them and their growth and development as a human. And again, in coaching, that's exactly what I help my clients do is rewire their brains so they don't have the desire for food that they had previously. They start to think like a person that maybe is in a smaller body if that's what they desire or they start to think like a person that simply doesn't think about food all the time and has the true control around food that they would like. So in this podcast, I'm going to highlight some quotes and some sections that I found to be particularly similar to what comes up in coaching. Like what I see like when we get deeper and we dive deeper into like the why behind some of the emotional eating and some of the um, some of the reasons like why we're overeating and eating when we aren't hungry. Um, there's a lot of things that come up in this book that I notice in my coaching and like why it might seem hard for you and why this whole process of weight loss has just been such an enigma. And so I really hope this helps you guys as always. So not surprisingly, (laughs) I'm going to start by talking about, uh, feelings. So one of the quotes she said, she was like, we disconnect from the parts of ourselves that receive negative attention early on, okay? And so, you know, I, I, I take away from this, like when your negative emotions receive negative attention, we disconnect from those negative emotions as a way to keep in good standing with our parents, as a way to maintain that attachment that we like need as young children to be attached to our adults, our our humans that are responsible for feeding us and clothing us and keeping us safe and warm, right? Like that is like a normal human function to want to stay in a good attachment status with our parents. And so um, when we disconnect from those negative emotions um, to as a way of keeping in good standing with them, as a way of keeping us out of trouble and a way to preserve our image of being a good kid, Um, it makes it really hard as we enter adulthood because we've never learned that like those feelings are a part of us. Those feelings are are part of of who we are. Those feelings are normal. Having those feelings doesn't make you a bad person. Having those feelings doesn't make you, um, doesn't, doesn't 
mean anything about you. It's actually like totally, totally, completely normal. And we land in adulthood in a world where we don't know how to feel or process those emotions and we use food or alcohol to feel better, which can give us the results that we currently have and really don't want for ourselves. And so part of what I teach my clients is like learning to normalize that feeling emotions and allowing yourself to feel emotions and learn to feel and process them in a way that is supportive to you um, is really part of this coaching experience and part of like the human experience. And um, and so, yeah, so there's that there's that piece that I want to talk about. Then there is there is this the, her next quote that I thought was amazing. It was like, am I helping my kid tolerate and work through this distress or am I encouraging my child to avoid and beeline out of the distress? And it's like if distress, like if something, if you did not learn how to manage distress, like if someone, if you were in distress and someone was just like, you're okay, it's okay, like, you know, like don't worry about your feelings being hurt, there's nothing wrong here, no issues, right? Like if working through distress doesn't come naturally because probably a parent, a very well-meaning, loving parent was like, not wanting to see you feel negative emotion, it's not going to be something that's going to be comfortable for you as a child. Like if this was not something that was fostered in you as a child and all that was modeled to you was like, how do we get out of this distress? Like even like watching like your own parents like come home feeling stressed out and distressed and like going to the to going to the refrigerator to start like hitting the box of wine, right? Like you see how distress is modeled like oh we we should not sit in our distress we should just get out of it as quickly as possible like no wonder this is hard for you right um and i think when i look back on this it's like you think about why you are the way you are and so many of my clients kind of connect to like oh this makes so much sense why i do this why i can't even handle feeling a little bit of distress or discomfort because i've always just beelined right out of it and not been able not been either taught or fostered or modeled the behavior of how to actually manage distress and so I can see how again a lot of this like how this can translate to your relationship with food right like so anyway there's that I'm, I'm like I've got so many notes here you guys so I'm just trying to like make sure I'm not missing anything that I wanted to tell you um so Oh, the other aspect I wanted to mention here is like, is like, if there is distress, like she talks about like, what is it does that child really need in that moment? Like, what is it that they're actually looking for? Because they're looking for something. They need something. They need connection with you. They need, they need like a good cry. They need um, whatever it is. Like we need to get connected to the parts of us that are feeling that distress and we need to figure out what it is that we really need in that moment. Like not, it's usually not food and it's usually not booze. It's something else. You're needing something else, some sort of relief from your day or your task. There's like a break from the million things that you need to get done before bedtime or the millions of thoughts you have spinning in your head. Because like, what is it that you really need? And give yourself what you really need in that moment rather than like putting unplanned food in your mouth. Um, so there's that. Okay. Then she has a quote. She was like, remember, it's not our feelings that are the problem. It's the regulation of the feelings. And a kid's ability to regulate feelings depends on our willingness to acknowledge, validate, and permit those feelings. And as you listen to that, it's like if your feelings were not acknowledged – 
validated or permitted. Like if you had feelings and you just were spanked or you were sent to your room or you were told that you were being too dramatic or whatever it may be, this can be really hard for you. And I see this so much in my clients because it's like they were they were not allowed to have feelings. Feelings were not allowed. They were not allowed to be sad. They were not allowed to be upset. There was no space or availability or permission for any of that. And so it makes perfect sense. And so like that simple acknowledgement, validation and permission is really, really important. And I think like that's almost like one of the first steps we talk about in coaching is like, okay, I'm allowed to feel this way. It's normal that I feel this way. It makes sense that I feel this way and that's okay. Um, then she talks about, you know, getting the feelings out will help you, but acting out in fury will make you feel worse. I will allow the first and prevent the second. And this is where she's talking about like some boundaries and helping kids feel their emotion working through like an urge to maybe cross a boundary um, because acting out in fury, like, so here's like an example, like, and we'll give it like a, a food-based example, right? Like you're going to have emotions. We're going to allow the emotion, but acting out in fury, acting out and like going on a big binge, for example, will actually make you feel worse, right? I will allow the first, I will allow the negative emotion and the distress, but I will prevent the second, right? And I talk about this so much with buffering, right? It's like you have a negative emotion, you want to act out in fury and buffer that emotion away, and it will always make you feel worse. And so you set, you create boundaries for yourself, right? We create a plan, we create a protocol, we make decisions ahead of time so that when our brains want to um, step out of that place and they want to act out in fury, it's like, no, 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 we've already made that, we've already created the boundary. Even if you want to eat off protocol in this moment, like, you are we are not allowing that like we made this decision already this is the boundary that I'm setting because you will feel worse um if you do act out in fury then there was this other I mean I just kept reading this book and I was like doop this happened to this client boop this happened to this client this makes perfect sense so I'm just like I bet this totally connects to other, other people so here is this other quote she had. She's like, nothing feels as awful to kids as the painful feelings they are left alone with. So there's first this concept of like, were you even allowed to feel feelings? Number one. And then when you were sent to your room for feeling sad or disappointed or frustrated and acting out in that way, and then you're left alone with those feelings and nothing is worse for a kid than being alone in an emotion that they don't even really understand and this like horrible feeling that they feel that they don't even understand and that just feels terrible to them. And I think a lot of clients, they were like, the only way I felt better, the only way, because right, my parents disconnected from me when I was feeling negative emotion. I was forced to be put away, but I was just left with this negative emotion, being alone with it. And what do you do? but you start eating food, right? We start going to food because so many of my clients were left alone with hard feelings and coped the only way they knew how, with food. And we can help you break that cycle. We can help take that wire away. Like, right, like you, so many of them, we couple, we have to figure out why, right? We have to go kind of deep and figure out why, but like we couple emotional like emotional um, distress or emotional discomfort with 
food. So at some point in our time, in our, in our lives, we've coupled food with ways to feel better. And I think this little piece that Dr. Becky brings up is like, it, it's, it's shown up in my coaching so many times. And now we have to just like uncouple that. It makes sense why we did it. It was very, um, it was very useful at the time. And like very lucky at the time that we had this, like, because it was a good coping mechanism at the time. But now as we've gotten older and maybe, you know, like now we use food for a long time, but now it's like, okay, well now I don't have the same, you know, metabolism that I used to. I'm not as active as I used to be. And, and, and while like children and young adults and even people in their twenties can like manage all of that for a little bit of time, eventually those coping mechanisms and those buffering activities end up catching up with you. Right. So I've got I've got several clients that are like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this since I was really little. But for a long time, it didn't really affect me until now, until now. Now, it really so it's like I've been an emotional eater, but I wasn't overweight. But now I'm an emotional eater and my weight's gone up beyond where I would really like it to be. So um, then she had a quote. This is a great one. She was like, when we try to convince a child to feel any other way than how they're currently feeling, a child learns, I guess I'm not a good feeler of my feelings. I thought I was upset, but here's my most trusted adult telling me it's not such a big deal. I can't trust my feelings after all. I've learned other people have a better idea of how I feel than I do. And so like that is such an interesting thing, right? Because like, again, that has to do with like validation of what you really feel inside of you. And like when we try to convince other people that they should or shouldn't feel a certain way or there's no reason to be upset, it can be super confusing. And that's why I think us as adults, like especially for people that are raised by ad- other adults that are not super emotionally in in tune or emotionally intelligent or really comfortable with their own emotions, um, right? It's like we don't, no one, again, no one really wants to see other people other their own children be upset I think they think it reflects on them as a parent or whatever I'm not really sure depends on the situation but um again when your feelings are really not validated and you're being told that you're like wrong or shouldn't feel a certain way it can be so confusing it can be really confusing as a child and I know a lot of my clients have been in that in that boat and then the last piece um or a couple more pieces she's she and i I actually talk to my clients. I almost feel like I say this exact same thing to them. It's like, I wonder what my body is trying to tell me. It must be something important. Like getting connected to like, there is an uncomfortable feeling that's happening right now. I wonder what my body is trying to tell me. It must be something important. There must be something really important about this feeling. But most of the time we just like shove it away. But what we learn in coaching and what I do with, I go through like this processing emotions um, piece with my clients, with certain clients is like, Figuring out like what those emotions are trying to tell us, what messages they might have for us, what things that they, what we can actually learn from them and like learn that we can actually be present with that emotion and actually grow by having that emotion be with us, um, not necessarily by pushing it away, if that makes sense. Um, And then she says, understand before intervening. The goal isn't to get rid of feelings. The goal goal is to build the skills to cope with the feeling and in so much of her membership it's like okay we need to build rather than like building gratitude for example you know we're entering the holiday season so we're anticipating our kids who knows maybe they're going to be like thank you this is so great or maybe they're going to be disappointed that they didn't get the thing that they wanted right like the goal isn't to sure there's there's a goal of building gratitude but there's also a build the, the goal of like building the skills to manage disappointment and frustration 
right? Because like that's going to be a skill that's going to serve them for their lifetime. And there's going to be a lot more times where they're going to be disappointed and frustrated when it comes to gifts and things like that. Um, and then finally, the last piece that she said with feelings is like dysregulation is when a feeling is greater than the capacity to manage that feeling. And I feel like this happens so many times with my clients. Because again, it's like this feeling, um, again, is greater than the capacity to manage the feeling. It's, it's, you, you need to build, we need to help you build the skills to help manage the feeling so that we're not reaching for food when you've gone beyond the capacity of being able to manage the feeling. Okay. Then we're going to talk about urges. So Dr. Becky says she's like, a child is experiencing a tantrum when they cannot manage the emotional demands of a situation. In the moment of a tantrum, the child is experiencing like a feeling, an urge, or a sensation that overwhelms his capacity to regulate that feeling, urge, or sensations. Tantrums are biological states of dysregulation, not willful acts of disobedience. And having a desire thwarted is one of the most difficult human experiences for kids and also for adults. And learning to recognize a tantrum for what it is on the inside rather than reacting to what it is happening outside is a vital parenting skill. So what I notice is like, bear with me here, but like urges for food are very similar to child tantrums. There are stages where your brain is kind of dysregulated and overwhelmed with the desire that your brain is having difficulty managing. And so many of my clients think that because they have an urge for food that there is something wrong with them or that they are being disobedient or something like that. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's just not true. And what we do in coaching is we help you regulate your dysregulated primitive brain, utilizing your prefrontal cortex to help you manage and eventually reduce desire. So it seems like less of a tantrum in your brain. And there's so many reasons. I'm going to do a whole other podcast on this. Um, there's so many reasons why your brains are like this. It is no fault of your own. I want you to understand that. Absolutely. This is, again, it means because you have desire does not mean that there is anything inherently wrong with you or that you shouldn't have it. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Our brains are wired for pain, reduction, pleasure, enhancement, and to do that as efficiently as possible. And I've said this before, and food is a really good way to do that. And so we create these really deeply grooved neural pathways in our brain that um, are in there. And it's we can we can break them. That's what we do in coaching. That's what we do in coaching for sure. But um, again, there is this is this has happened. It is no fault of your own. This desire is not a problem. Um, we can figure it out. Okay. So then there is this section in the book, or a few quotes that I feel like really speak to connecting to yourself. So she talks about listening is really cooperation, and cooperation comes from connection. So. Listening to yourself involves cooperating with the part of you that's made the decision for yourself for what you truly want for your future. And when you have a hard time cooperating with that voice, it's because you're kind of disconnected from your higher self or your higher power and the future self that you're becoming. So like what we really try to do is we try to utilize our prefrontal cortex to um, connect and cooperate with ourselves and what it is that we truly want for ourselves. Because in the moment, I'm here to tell you, in the moment, your primitive brain is going to make a decision for you that you really don't want. And that's why so much of what I teach my clients is to make a decision ahead of time. And then we learn how to manage the urges when they come, 
we're going to learn how to manage the urges, especially coming up this Christmas and holiday season where we're going to have work parties and we're going to have Christmas parties and we're going to have potlucks and we're going to have Christmas with 8 million family members, <laughs> right? Like we're going to be managing all of that, but going in with a plan, a very intentional plan, and then anticipating urges and knowing how to manage them um, is the key to all of that. So um, healthy relationships, but this is the next quote. She said, healthy relationships are not defined by lack of rupture, but how well we repair. All relationships have rough patches, yet these moments can be the greatest source of deepening connection. And so when you think about repairing relationships, this also includes the relationship with yourself. So if you have a rough patch in this process, which spoiler alert, you will, everybody does. Otherwise, none of us would be here listening to this podcast right now. Then everyone would be exactly like I said, the way they wanted and the body size that they want, whatever. How you treat yourself and how you repair with yourself and how you learn from each experience is essential in this process. And instead of taking the approach of beating yourself up and shaming yourself and feeling guilty for what's gone on, we learn to repair with ourselves in like a loving, compassionate, curious way so that we can deepen our connection with ourselves and deepen that integrity with ourselves. And then there's also the section she was like, there's a difference between repair and apologizing. So oftentimes, apologizing is an attempt to like shut down a conversation. Like I overate and I'll be better next time. So like, let's move on versus repair, which is like, let's reconnect with yourself and what was going on for you and figure out what really happened in that moment and further strengthen that relationship and integrity with yourself. Because you're going to get a lot more out of repairing that relationship with yourself than you will saying, I'm sorry, like, let's move on. And a lot of my clients resist this. They really just want to be like, sweep it under the rug and let's move on. But I'm here to tell you, has that ever worked for you? Like, has that ever been, like, has that ever been a good solution to your problems? Just like not actually figuring out what happened. And so as part of this process, what I do with my clients is I have them evaluate every time they eat off protocol, every time they... Um, overeat and just figure out like, okay, what can we learn from this process? Like what can we discover as to why this happened and what we were thinking and feeling at the time and evaluate some of the um, the thought loops and the thought errors that were going on so that we can, you know, really figure out what's going on for us and actually repair that what happened in that moment as opposed to just saying I'm sorry and moving on. Right. And trust me, listen, people, I'm here to tell you I did this for years. I was like, "Mm, I don't I'm I'm not going to talk about it. Like even with my husband, I'll just be like, yeah, like, you know, back, you know, 40 pounds ago. And um, when I was on Weight Watchers and stuff and I was like, I see he could like notice that I'm like, oh, I see you're almost done with Weight Watchers now because you're just like eating two helpings of ice cream tonight. Like you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. We're just going to figure it out tomorrow. Like, right. Like how many of you guys have done that? Like I I was the same way. Trust me. I never wanted to actually like dig into why the, why I went off plan or why I decided to, what was going on for me at the time that made ice cream times two or three, like a really, really good, good solution in the moment. I never wanted to talk about it. And also, I don't think I ever really understood why. Like, I never really understood what was going on for me. Again, I was, it was, I was mostly like, I feel uncomfortable. I don't really like it. But what I do know is that food makes it feel a lot better. 
until it doesn't, right? Okay, so then, and I think, oh, here I have this other note. Like I said, I like keep looking at my notes. I'm like, to make a change in this process, it's going to be different than any other weight loss method you've tried because it's really going to involve you developing a deep relationship and trust in yourself knowing also that you have your own back no matter what and you'll continue to show up for yourself until you are where you want to be and beyond right like it it's like even if I do go off protocol I'm not going to beat myself up I'm not going to shame myself I'm not going to feel guilty I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to learn right I'm going to feel forward keep moving forward what did Bobby Jones say he was like another I don't think he said fucking I think I did but another like another fucking growth opportunity (laughs) right like I was like oh that's great um so okay what's next what's next you guys I have a 10 page document here so I hope you're comfortable Okay, here we go. So by, here's this next quote. She says, by returning to the scene of the emotional fire and layering on connection, empathy, and understanding, you add key elements of regulation on top of the moment of dysregulation. So then the next time your child has a hard time, these elements will be easier to access. And um, so, so many of us want to overeat and eat off plan and then just forget about it and say, we'll do better next time, like I said before. But again, I think this speaks to the last topic. In order to learn, grow, and ensure that we show up differently next time, we must go back to the scene of the fire, connect with what was going on for us, empathize with ourselves in that moment, and understand what was really going on for us in that moment. And only then will we be able to create and formulate ideas and thoughts on how we can better regulate and support ourselves the next time we become dysregulated. And as Dr. Becky says, these elements will be easier to access so we can show up differently for ourselves. But again, I want you to notice we have to go back. We have to take a look. We've got to like take a little microscope and just see like, okay, like what's what was going on? How do I want to show up differently next time? What would I have to be thinking and feeling to do that? Okay. Ooh, she has such a great section on like other people's feelings. Oh, man, it's really, really good. So here's the quote. She's like, there will be times when I will assert myself based on what feels right to me and other people won't like it. But it's not my job to make other people happy. Their discomfort is a feeling in their body. And it's not my fault or my responsibility to make this feeling go away. Feeling like you have the right to make decisions about your body comes from experience in your early years regarding whether you felt you had the right to make the decision about your body. Ooh, so good. So, 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 so good, right? Like, and I think this, the context for this, I think was like hugging relatives or something like that, right? But it's like, you know what's going on in your body. You know what you really want for yourself. Other people might have thoughts and feelings about it, and that's on them you get to decide what feels good for you and they don't have to necessarily like your decision. Ooh, and I think that comes up so much with like food and food pushers, especially like, you know, you really don't want to eat whatever your grandma made for you. And she might, because either it's not in protocol or you just don't really like it or you just don't really want it. Right. 
and you've made a decision. You know what feels, or you know it doesn't feel good in your body. You know, like you're going to feel terrible tomorrow if you eat this this particular item, right? You know what feels good to you. You know that you're grounded in your decision, and she might not like the fact that you're not going to eat the Christmas cookie that she's made for you, and that's okay. She's allowed to have that feeling. She's allowed to have that thought. That's all right. Um. But if you were in a position where it's like you need to eat that cookie, you need to like she made this for you and you have to and whether you want it or not, it's like and I trust me <laughs> in coaching like this comes up again. It's like, oh, but she made it for me and I felt so bad because I didn't want her to feel bad. And I'm like, so you're going to make yourself feel bad? Do you see what you're doing there? Like in an effort not to make somebody else feel bad, you're making yourself feel worse. In what ways does that not make sense? Oh, and and then on the topic of other people's feelings, it's like she says, we are not in charge of our children's feelings. Our kids don't need uh, to say, sure, no problem when we make a decision or have them do something right. We mean when we make decisions and communicating that we are okay with our children's feelings, we teach them to be okay with having big feelings, which is critical to developing emotional regulation. Um. So, so many of my clients spend a lot of their time and their mental energy and emotional energy trying to change the emotions of their children, reacting to the emotions of their children, then feeling so overwhelmed and feeling responsible for their children's emotions and what they make it mean about them that they like eat or drink. And I just love that Dr. Becky says that we're not in charge of our children's feelings when we're also not really responsible for anyone's feelings. Um, and I think when we spend less time, like, like if we if there is something like a boundary that needs to be made like we make the boundary we enforce the boundary with our kids there doesn't need to be any emotional tie to it our kids can have a thought or a feeling about it and that's okay we can anticipate that and we can even allow them to be like yeah it's really disappointing you cannot have a cookie for breakfast right like i get it i get that you might feel um frustrated by that i believe you but that's a that's a boundary that's been made that's a decision that i'm making you're allowed to be totally upset about it. It's totally fine. I'm not, you know, I just have to enforce the boundary and you can have the feeling. And I think the same thing goes for food. It's like, you know, like you can enforce the boundary again, I think with like food pushers and people pleasing around food. It's like you enforce the boundary and they can have a feeling about it and that's okay. Um, We're not in charge of other people's emotions and we don't have really any control over how other people think or feel about us and honestly the more we realize that the more free we become like truly it's like when you get out of what other people are thinking and feeling about you and you you just worry about yourself and other people can have those thoughts and feelings regardless of what you do by the way like I want you to understand that like whatever you do is just a circumstance in another person's model and you might think that they're going to have like this great you know response to whatever it is that you do or but honestly, they're going to think and feel however they want. You just get to show up how you want to show up. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to show up for yourself the way that you want to show up. Okay. Um, she also has a section on confidence, which I thought was amazing. She said, confidence is our ability to feel at home with ourselves in the widest range of feelings possible. And it's built from the belief that it's okay to be who you are no matter what you're feeling. And I just think that is so powerful. And then she also goes on to say, confidence is knowing how you feel and believing it's okay to be yourself in that feeling in that moment. Like, wow. 
So many of my clients want to feel confident around food. They want to feel confident like that they can make decisions for themselves in the moment. They want to feel confident that they can navigate the the ASC potluck and be totally fine with it. They want to feel confident that they're going to make the decision in the moment. They also want to be confident that they can have a desire, feel a desire, let it just be present with them and know that they don't necessarily have to react to it too. Um, knowing that you can also be in the widest range of feelings, feel the entire human experience and know it's okay to be who you are with what you're feeling. That is amazing. Just amazing. Okay. Then she goes on to say um, learning. We were this whole concept of learning. So first I want to start with a quote she said. She says, change always takes longer than we want it to. <laughs> and that is so true. In weight loss, we just want the weight to be gone because we think we're going to feel so much better when it's off. But I'm here to tell you, life is always 50-50, 50% positive emotions, 50% negative emotions. Um, you might feel more comfortable in your body. You might allow yourself to be more healthy. You might allow yourself to fit in different clothes and things like that. But um, there are still going to be, it's not like rainbows and butterflies from here on out. Like there's still going to be negative parts of life or uncomfortable parts of life. There's still going to be comfortable parts of life. And it's just going to be a little bit different. But either way, change always takes longer than we want it to. And I think this process of brain rewiring, like we come in and I work with my clients primarily for six months, sometimes longer. Sometimes they just want a little bit more time with me. In my six-month um, group coaching program, it's a six-month commitment. And then we uh, um, bridge into an alumni program after that. But um, but it, it we're, they're coming to me with a lifetime of brain wiring and they wanted to change in like the first week and I'm like my sweet wonderful friends like it's taken a long time to get here it's gonna take a little bit of time for it for the change to happen right like know and give yourself that grace that just because it doesn't come super easily to you right away it will it will absolutely get there I promise you we always want the change to be faster than it is. That's why that's why people go on like keto and that's why people do like extensive fasting and that's why people do calorie restriction because they want the change now. But what we do in coaching is we really make the permanent change in your brain. We really rewire your brain and that is going to take time. It's going to take more time to lose the weight, but you're going to lose it forever. But it's going to take more time to lose the weight. Um, but you're going to do it in a way that is sustainable and fits with your lifestyle and something that's actually a process that's actually enjoyable, not one that, not as like a means to an end, if that makes sense. So, um, let's see here. What was next? Oh, and then she talks about mindsets and like growth mindsets and things. And I've got like, this is kind of a long quote, so I'm just going to read this. So not surprisingly, kids and adults who embrace a growth mindset welcome challenges, learn from mistakes, stick with hard things for longer because they are willing, because they believe hard work leads to growth. The less obsessed we are with success, the more we'll be willing to try new things and develop and grow, which of course are key elements to all types of success. I want you to visualize a timeline where the first point is not knowing and the end point is knowing. All of the space in between the two points is learning. Of course, people find themselves in the learning space longer than they want to be there. It's natural to wish the knowing would, would just come already or have the urge to retreat back to the comfort of not knowing. 
where we don't have to expend effort or risk failure or embarrassment. Learning exposes our weaknesses and makes us feel vulnerable and it requires us to be brave. Ooh, what comes up for you when you hear that? Like, I want you to like rewind the podcast to listen to that again, because that is, I think a lot of stuff comes up. I could probably do a whole other podcast just on that one little paragraph because the exposure to our weaknesses, the feeling of vulnerability, the risk of failure or embarrassment, the retreat back to the comfort of not knowing or the retreat back to the comfort of like whatever you've done previous really, right? Like this, it, oh man, I feel like I should just pause the podcast and stop for a minute, but I'm just going to keep going. Like learning is hard. And that's what she goes on to say. She's like, did you know that learning is hard? I mean it. Every single time any of us learn something, me, you, everyone, it feels frustrating. Frustration, that feeling of, oh, I can't do it. Or, oh, I want this to be done already. That's a feeling that tries to trick our brain into telling us we're doing something wrong. But actually, this feeling is a sign that we're learning and doing something right. So let's be on the lookout for feeling, for that feeling, so we can remind ourselves we are learning and that learning is supposed to feel this way. And she goes on to say, sometimes we think if something feels hard, it means we're doing something wrong, but it means we're doing something right. I think the sooner we can embrace that, the sooner that we can embrace the fact that like it's going to feel hard and because it feels hard, it means you're challenging yourself. It means you're pushing yourself, right? Like this is part of the 50-50 that like actually moves you forward. Ooh, it's so exciting, right? Like, so I love to challenge my clients to think like, oh, good, it feels hard. Oh, good, that means you're learning. Oh, good, it feels it feels difficult. It feels like you're doing something wrong. Great, that means you're doing something right. Like, thinking about it from that mindset versus like, this is hard, I just don't want to. Like, growth mindset versus, I forget the other mindset, but it's such a, such a different place, right? And then she goes on to say, mistakes are part of learning. Goodness isn't the absence of struggling. Two things can be true. You can be good and you can struggle just like me. Um, again, I think people tie like a, like their, who they are to what they do, right? They tie like their goodness and their strength and their you know ability to achieve big goals to like the things that they do and if they can't then it means that they're not that person right like you can be good and you can struggle just like me um totally so the last piece the last thing that I got I mean there's so many other things I like probably chopped 50% of this podcast because I was like, this is going to be a really long podcast. But um, she said the last piece was like, sometimes it's the act of talking about other people, people's problems that activates a light bulb inside of us, igniting a thought or an urge to change that we didn't have when the discussion was focused on us directly. It often takes externalizing a struggle to reduce the shame and self-blame inside of us, which frees up the space for our more compassionate problem-solving voices to emerge. And I think this right here is the reason why I have, I'm doing group coaching. So you see other people going through the same struggle. 
you click with how you can approach the same issue for yourself, you have these like internal shifts just by looking at somebody else and watching somebody else and like being like, oh, I can, that, I've, I've that been there too. I get that. I can, I can do what they did, right? Like in creating the external results that you want. And so with that, my next group starts January 3rd. Okay, I'm closing enrollment on December 22nd, and I have four spots left. So if you are interested in, if, if as I talk about weight loss, and I talk about food, and I talk about emotional eating, and I talk about feelings, and all of this kind of resonates with you, or it's starting to click off light bulbs, you're like, this might be what I'm looking for. This might be the piece that I need to make the permanent change in my life. I really do want to take the time and the effort and the intention of creating permanent change in my brain that is what I can offer to you in my group coaching program I'm going to link all of the uh, notes in this podcast for information on how to sign up and all that stuff um yeah that is what's happening we get started January 3rd would be perfect um for right after the holidays and getting started um and yeah, I'd love to help you. I'm really excited. I have already helped my clients since I've started my coaching program lose, God, it's like approaching 600 pounds at this point, and they feel better, and they have the control around food that they want, and it's just phenomenal. So I would love if you want to come and join this program. It is going to be awesome. So like I said, I'll put those in the in the notes. And thank you again, guys, for being here. I do this for you. I do this because... I just think all of this is super fascinating. And again, I think if this podcast can help you, that's amazing. I love it. I'm so happy. So, all right. Again, thanks for being here, guys. Talk to you later. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Weight Loss for Busy CRNA Moms. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. And if you like what I shared today, you should also check out weightlossbybrittany.com for even more great weight loss tips, some of my favorite recipes and mindset tools that I use to lose 40 pounds. Once there, you can also book a free consultation with me, Brittany Kolb, your certified life and weight loss coach.